Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today, we're going to dive into our theme for this year called Life with King Jesus. We will focus on the subject of our relationship to the community. And for this morning, we are going to step right out into the deep end. The question of who is my neighbor is one of the most avoided questions for contemporary Christians because the answer is going to challenge us beyond our comfort zones. Thanks for joining us in this series as we seek to integrate the rule of King Jesus into our witness to the community around us. Well, this morning we're going to begin a new series that's going to be a, a four-part and then a repeat of a four-part series taking us through 2023. I introduced this back at one of the first Sundays of this year as the theme that will characterize all of our meditation and study. Last year, you'll recall that our primary theme was recognizing Jesus as the what? As the King. King Jesus, ruling and reigning, raised and seated, Paul says in Ephesians. This is true whether you believe it or not, whether the world acknowledges it or not. He is the King. By virtue of this, we must respond. And so this year's theme is going to be finding the integration of the rule of King Jesus into every sphere of our lives. We're going to break this down into four components. The first is going to begin simply with you. Your own personal walk and devotion serving Jesus. What does his kingship mean in your very life? Then we're going to extend the boundaries a little bit further, just beyond your own self, to those who you have the most influence around. And for most of us, this will be our immediate family, our spouses and our children and our parents and immediate family right after that. We will focus on this under the subject of marriage when we get to it later in this year, asking the question, what does the role of Jesus as the king have to do with the integration of that truth into our into our marriages. Then the next boundary as we move further out has to do with our community. And the last boundary has to do with the world. We're going to be taking these a little bit out of order. For today, we're going to begin on that third circle. Our community. And I want to frame this under the concept of following the king. Jesus is called the head of the body. The head of of the church, the metaphor being easy to understand that everything your foot does, everything your hand does, your knee and your elbow, everything about you should be controlled by what? The head. And the same is true for this, the body of Christ. Everything we do should be controlled by the head, which means you and I need to be, we need to learn to be very good at following. When I was a kid, I would go out um, hunting with my dad, and I hadn't caught quite that same super duper bug that he had, uh, because I would always like to step on the sticks and drag my feet, and I'd be scaring away any wild critter that was possibly waiting for him to harvest. And my dad would turn and constantly say, shh, shh, Ryan, lie down. And eventually, he gave me this instruction, and I've offered to you many times. He said, where I put my foot, you need to what? 
Put your foot. Where I step is where you need to step. And sure enough, he never stepped on a single twig. I could find them all. He didn't know where any of them were. What I had to learn to do in the modeling after what he was showing me was learn to follow. This is a theme that we've heard already this morning. Sarah shared with us with our children that God has modeled forgiveness from heaven to us, of which we are now tasked with forgiving one another. And so this whole series that we're going to be looking at called Life with Jesus is going to have to fall under our ability to learn how to follow his headship, how to follow in his leading of our lives. So today, the subject is that third sphere dealing with community. I want to warn you as we look into this this morning, um, this is intended to become uncomfortably practical. So you all ready? A little bit of discomfort this morning? Because if we're true to God's word, hopefully you and I will be able to identify that there is something that is in need of growth in our lives when it comes to our reference of Jesus and how we treat one another in our community. This begins with the church community, but it goes beyond this. In fact, it goes to those who we would call our neighbors. Raise your hand. How many of you get along with all your neighbors? I've got three hands and a bunch of liars this morning. <clears throat> That's good. That's good. This is what I would hope. I would hope that Christ in you would begin to motivate and move you to serve your neighbors, whoever they are, whatever their creed or background is. But this doesn't come naturally to us. It's required of a supernatural work within us to model what Jesus looks like to those around us. Because God's greatest desire is to be reshaping society so that more come to understand who he is. The expanse of God's glory is seen in a depth of our own obedience and also in a width of those who come to know him. And that's what God wants. He wants to extend his glory beyond the heavens. And he wants to use you to do this. I know in the primary community that I live in would be my home. Just like my dad would model for me how to live. Emily and I do the same with our kids. Uh, Emily attending school at Bishop Barriga um, has a little um, secret unknown to the students program that the teachers do. It's a program called Caught Being a Christian. Now, some of you were caught in school for other reasons. This is not those. Uh, The teachers and the staff are encouraged to identify when a student goes above and beyond to be kind to their neighbor, to their classmate. And that gets recorded, and that is a note that gets sent home to parents. And I'm going to brag for a minute here in church about my daughter, because I got an email from Mrs. Cooper, and this is what it says. The virtue that was modeled was kindness. Ms. Cooper says when Sadie came into art class, she noticed that the new student was sitting alone, so she left the table where her friends were and went over to sit with them. Wow, what an amazing... Are you kidding me? That was simple, wasn't it? This isn't earth-shattering. And so this is what I want you to understand. As we're going to look today at the subject of answering the question, who is my neighbor? 
Who's my neighbor? And how is this reflected in my following Jesus, doing life with Jesus in a community? How is it the little things that make all the difference for us? And that's going to be our study this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. It's a parable that Jesus gives, one that I know you know well, called the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, As you turn there, again, I want to remind you, our goal is to become uncomfortable this morning. And we're going to move a little quickly because in addition to our own um, exegetical understanding of God's text and our study, we're also going to be hearing this morning from one of our own members to come and give a witness. It's going to be a characteristic of this entire series that we participate in modeling together our obedience to God's word. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him. And bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he pulled the man on, put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Great story, right? <clears throat> it, <clears throat> it cannot live for us in the halls of uh, Sunday school, kindergarten classes, or illustrated Bibles. This needs to play out reality in our own lives. And that's why I want to offer to you four primary observations as we seek to study this test A text. The first one is this. Your faith in God is going to be proved as either dead or alive based upon the evidence of your love. And so we're going to begin in the deep end of the pool with this observation because I want to draw your attention back to the original question. The original question was not who's my neighbor. Do you remember what the first question was? How do I get saved for us listed as inherit eternal life. How do I get that? How do I experience 
life unending with God. How is it that when I die, I will be ushered into the presence of God that my soul will live on? How do I do this? What, what do I need to do in order to receive this? So let's, let's begin by just making sure that we're understanding the bearings around this story as being nothing short of the determining characteristics of your salvation. Everybody on board? That's what we're talking about here. What we find is <clears throat> three people are listed in the parable and only one of them is said to have acted like a good neighbor. Only one of them is said in correspondence to have achieved what the expert of the law had recited as being the main commandment in order to receive salvation. Only one of them. And so for you and I, what this means is there is no version of saving faith that remains hidden or, in accordance with the story, passes by on the side. That is not a saving faith. You have heard this morning already from Eileen, our passage, but just to remind us once more, James in the second chapter says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is what kind of faith? Is dead faith. You, You may have faith, but it's not a faith that works. It's not a faith that'll get you anywhere. It's dead. It wasn't too long ago that I um, went over after a, a big snowfall to the plow truck and I turned the key and the radio came on and the truck went click. And that was it. No, rum, rum, nothing. Just click. But the radio was on. So I just sat there and listened to the radio. <laughs> right? Is that the purpose of a truck? glorified speaker system? I mean, it's making a lot of noise, but it's not doing anything. It's saying a lot, but it's not getting me anywhere. I want you to know that if, if, if your life is not reflecting any transformative change by the indwelling of God, by the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf to transform how you treat one another, you may claim to have faith, but that faith will not serve you. That faith will not get you anywhere. You may be making a lot of noise, but ultimately going nowhere. Secondly, your love for God must concord with your love for neighbor. I tried to spend uh, some time thinking, what's the right word to, to relate these two? To concord means to have agreement to have harmony to be found in concordance they are proven the same and so let me draw you to the text one more time because as the expert of the law uh, receives the commendation from jesus you got it right you answered correctly i want to remind you what it was he said he said love the lord your god with all your heart soul strength and mind and what love your neighbor as yourself By the way, he's not making this up. He's getting this from Jesus. 
Jesus had already taught this. We find uh, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, we may look at it a little bit later, uh, that this is actually Jesus' understanding to the first and the greatest commandment. What I want you to know is that whatever you claim, whatever love you claim to have for God, if that does not concord in harmony with how you love your neighbor, you might be lying. Because you can claim love for God, but that's easy. That's that's easy to do. When's when's the last time you had to give up anything to help God out, serve God? When's the last time you had to give up any of your income or your time or your energy because God was in need? Never. You can claim all day long, I love God. But what about your neighbor? What if someone you knew needed time or money or energy or effort? Do you see that they're linked? They're the same? This is a single command. I, I want to show you here from John, or 1 John. John says, uh, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. It's easy to claim love for the almighty invisible God. But you're going to have to prove it if you're going to love your neighbor. Now, in this comporting of the two, in this concordance between the two, I do want to make one note that should be uh, emphasized. That what we're not claiming, what the scriptures are not claiming, is that in order to be saved, you must do something. That's not, that's not it at all. That's not remotely correct. Instead, the faith that you do not do in what he did needs to be alive. Does that make sense? You, you need to have evidence of the faith of which you did nothing. And a living faith will be evidenced not just with words, but it will comport with your own testimony to love God. If you love God, you must also love your neighbor. In fact, this is how Paul says it in Galatians. The entire law is summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so your love for God must concord with your love for your neighbor. Thirdly, your neighbor, this is, I told you it's going to get tough. Here we go. Everybody ready? This is a tough one. You refine up to one and two. Three is where it gets hard. Your neighbor is the one that you are least likely to serve. So I want everybody to write down the name of somebody who drives you nuts. Go ahead. I'll give you a minute. Yeah, two or three names, however many you need. That's the one. That's the person. The person who gets on your last nerve. The one you are least likely to reach out to i told you jesus gets us with this he gets us it becomes uncomfortable because what did the priest do if you were jewish listening to this story you'd be like oh, thank goodness a priest is coming he's going to take care of everything but the jewish priest does not get the accolade but then a levite comes ha one of our own tribesmen right the levites the one who served god officially right only from them Surely this is the guy that's going to get the attaboy. And what does he do? Passes by again. But then who becomes the hero? The crummy Samaritan. Jews hate Samaritans. And a Samaritan sees a Jew. Do you know what that Samaritan is likely to do? Give him a second kick on his way by. But that's not what he does. Do you see what this story Jesus is showing us? is that it is in those you are most least likely to serve. 
That God will test your obedience of your love for him. That claim that I love God. I love God all day long. Fine, you love God. Prove it. Prove that your faith is not just lip service. Prove that there's actually sacrifice that you're willing to make to demonstrate Jesus to those that you are least likely to serve. I told you that this was going to be a tough one. This from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, but I tell you, love your what? I mean, right? Aren't we all now humbled? Pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? I want to point out one key example here. In the same way that my dad modeled for me that I would follow after him, I would learn to walk like him. Don't miss this at the first verse. Love your enemies. Pray. Why? That you may be what? Children of your father. The father in heaven. Because that's what he does. He, he doesn't love with favoritism. He doesn't show, show partiality to only be kind to those who are worshiping him. What does God do? He is slow to anger, abounding in love to all. Even you, when you are an enemy with him. And so this is the one that will really get us. And this is the one I want to challenge you for this morning. That I I would expect that somewhere either in your uh, street or cul-de-sac, somewhere in your neighborhood, maybe you got to travel down the road a little bit further, but there's somebody, there's somebody who you just really would rather avoid. Uh, Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's anybody in the community. God's going to test you and your love for him. Are you willing to follow Jesus and let Jesus, his kingship, rule in your hearts to overcome whatever offense or frustration you have with him? Because your neighbor is the one that you're least likely to serve. Fourth and finally is this. Your Christ-like character requirement is impartial compassion. I want to break that down just real briefly because this is the last key critical aspect that we need to understand from this parable. Compassion is the key characteristic. That's the Christ-like attitude that we are called to emulate. Verse 37 characterizes it as the one who had mercy. If you look back in verse 33, it's the Samaritan who saw him and then took pity on him. I just want to tell you about that Greek word for a minute. The Greek word for compassion means to have your, your guts wrenched. It's a funny word. It's a real earthy word. And I think uh, we have a, a phrase in English. Have you ever uh, heard the phrase, and my heart just went out to them? Ever hear that phrase before? Right? That's the same idea. There's this, ooh, there's this movement. There's this um, uh, empath- empathetic vision that we think, well, if that was me, ooh, that would, just, that would just hurt. I just have to do something. My heart wants to go out to them. But compassion that has no evidence, is not compassion. Unfortunately, in our world today, there is a new term for this. It's called virtue signaling. Has anyone heard that term before? This is very common, especially in uh, corporate world or businesses or anybody on social media, which you all should probably just get off social media. But 
Virtue signaling is this idea that I want to I want to look kind. I want to look virtuous. I want to say all the right things so people think highly of me. But I really don't do anything. There actually is no follow through to serve or sacrifice or give. And so I want you to see, first of all, that's not what Jesus does. When Jesus models compassion, understand he sacrifices. He goes out to those who are hurting and he gives of himself. That's what compassion is. Next, I I want you to understand this idea of impartial compassion because as we see here, it's the Samaritan helping cross-culturally somebody who he usually would not. But I want us to be careful. So I want to give you a definition here for compassion. Compassion is, biblical compassion, Christ-like compassion is, you ready? It's being willing to help anyone, anywhere, under any circumstances. I say that again? Biblical Christ-like compassion is your willingness to help who? Anyone, anywhere, under any circumstances. I want to make sure you didn't mishear me. Because what I didn't say is that you need to help everyone, everywhere, all the time. There's a a big difference between the any and the every. If we misunderstood this as being, I need to help everybody, and God's not going to be proven true in my life, my faith will be dead unless I help everybody. Well, who's going to do that? Can you do that? No. No. So let's not, let, let us not this morning place some unbearable weight of the law upon our shoulders that we can't do. Because do you know who did help everybody? Jesus. Do you know who did die for everyone? Jesus. Do you know who doesn't discriminate on any circumstance? Jesus. And then he gives you the following task that's going to be limited by space and time. And so it's an impartiality that we need to understand. You need to be willing to help anyone. Even that person that drives you crazy. Even that person just irritates you. Boy, every time I see him, I just want to smack him. I can't even say what I want to say because I only have crummy words because my heart still has sin in it. Yeah, you know what? That's the person that you are not allowed to discriminate over. You need to be willing to help anyone. Well, when? When it's well, they better stop by before eight o'clock, because after eight o'clock I'm in. Can't be on a weekend either, I'm going fishing. No, that's not how it works. Compassion says I'm willing to let go of whatever my priorities were at any time. That's what Christ-like compassion looks like. And under any circumstances. All right. Are you you guys with me on this? I I want to just make sure that this is clearly understood. It's not that you need to help everybody because you can't do it. It's not that you need to help everybody everywhere because you can't be everywhere. All the time, you can't do that. God alone does that. So he offers to you then the characteristic without impartiality, not every, but any. Give me an amen if you're with me on this. Okay, good. Good. This is what John again says in chapter 3. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words and speech like the plow truck radio, just making noise, but with actions and in truth. 
So your Christ-like character requirement must be impartial compassion. One final word before we conclude. Uh, If you look with me back into the text, you'll see the command that Jesus gives in verse verse 37. Do you see it? Jesus says, go and what? Yeah, careful with that. Careful. Because again, we run the risk of pressing over us a works-based understanding of salvation. This do, because he says do. I don't want to, there's no funny Greek word going on here. It says do, but I want to make sure you've linked that do, that verb, with the previous one back in verse 28. So look back in verse 28, because that's what Jesus is referencing. He says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Well, what's the this? You see how we're working our way back to understand it? What was it I need to do? Do this. Well, what was this? It was love. The Lord your God. And then it doesn't list a bunch of things to do. Instead, it talks about your heart. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is what you're to now do for your neighbor. I want you to know there's, there's no requirement of works that will ever merit your salvation. Rather, it's a transforming picture of your countenance, your heart, your attitude towards your neighbor that is called a living faith. It's when my mind and my heart are changed in that loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength will then comport, right? It will concord with my love in my heart for my neighbor. Not because they can do something for me, but because God's told me to be like this because I'm to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And when you do that, it will lead to a variety of creative works of serving with actions. All right, do we catch that? You don't have actions leading the way. You have a heart change that leads the way and flowing from the heart change are going to be just unceasing, uncountable acts of service to do good to your neighbor. There's no one task that you can do Your actions will flow from a transformed heart. That's what Jesus means when he says, go and do. All right, I I hope I was clear on that one. If it's foggy anywhere, if at any point you think this is confused to say, you've got to do some work to be saved, please come and see me. Jesus has done it all. You simply follow in his footsteps. Having a transformed heart, it will produce a cacophony of actions that will look varied in every one of our circumstances and every one of the ways that God has designed us. So what do we do with this? I want to offer you this this morning. Practice an action of selfless compassion in Jesus' name. Just a couple of words on that. First of all, this is not a one and done. All right. If you, if you were sleeping, just wake up real quick for this. Here we go. I'm, I'm challenging you on this this week. If, if I was living back in the 50s, I'd say I double dog dare you. <laughs> right? This is it. Try to do this this week. I challenge you. Practice an action of selfless compassion in Jesus' name. But understand, it's not one and done. Because what's the first word? Practice. It, 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 maybe for you, this is already just like, your bread and butter of my service to God. I hope it is. I would imagine for the majority if it is. But maybe you need a little kick in the pants this morning. Maybe you need a little 
reminder. Maybe you need a challenge to say, you know, there is that one dude at work that I just uh, shouldn't have come to church today because the pastor's telling me that's the guy and I know that's the guy. So yeah, listen to God and practice that. Because the more that you practice it, the better and the easier it becomes. I wrote this down. Uh, You know the phrase, it'll become second nature. Have you heard that phrase before? We want to make a first nature, right? You understand? We are a new creature in Christ. There is a new nature in me. So we don't want to make the second nature. We want this type of lifestyle to characterize all we do and say. Um, Anyways, there's more that could be said about this. I want to thank you for your attention this morning. Uh, don't miss, though, that the key here is that you're doing this from a heart that knows Jesus and wants to make Jesus known. There's a lot more could be said, but we'll save some of that for, a, for maybe a Wednesday Bible study. Let's pray together.